I didn't know if we were going to go in for a, a kiss. I, I, was, I was nervous. I was nervous for that exchange because I know you greet your brother with a holy kiss, but I wasn't ready for that uh, today. How's everyone doing? I, I know you would. You're European. It's cool. But I'm American, and that means something different. And so I don't want to have to fight you in church. I hate preaching because I would much rather take six months and schedule breakfast, lunch, dinners, coffees with each and every one of you and just have an hour-long conversation. And so it's frustrating to be on a stage and say, hey, I've got this word from God that he impressed on my heart to share with you because um, we've all sat in pews before and said, okay, is this really for me? And sometimes when you sit in a seat, you, and you hear a point, and you're like, oh, I wish so-and-so were here to hear that. You're missing the real point of the whole sermon. The amazing thing that differentiates a sermon than a motivational speech is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take normal, everyday words and convict you into a deeper walk with God. Conviction is very different than condemnation. Conviction is an invitation into a deeper level of freedom. Condemnation is an invitation to a prison that will isolate you and condemn you and keep you even further back. And so I'm really honored and privileged and a little scared to share this word that I believe God has placed on my heart to give you today because I know that if you believe it, it can change a lot in your life. Um, this week when I was praying for this weekend, the word weary kept coming up in my mind. The past few months, I've been asking my friends who come to Mission Community, hey, what do you think people need to hear? And they gave me some great things. And I was like, oh, I could preach on this. I could preach on that. But all this week long, I've been hearing the word weary. I've been hearing the word weary because maybe you're living in your life where you've stopped praying certain prayers because honestly you don't believe that God will do something in that anymore. One of the safest questions you can ask a Christian friend is, hey, how can I be praying for you? And I've learned that that, 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 that question is too, like, PG. On the rating scales, it's like G-rated. Because if I'm hanging out with Kevin and I say, hey, Kev, what's going on? How can I pray for you? He's going to say, hey, well, my friend's brother-in-law's cat is dying of cancer. It's really bad. Can you pray for them? Like we, we deflect or we say, pray for the pride in my life. You know, not pray for I've been lying at work. They caught me and I'm going to get fired. Not um, I thought I wanted kids and now that I have them, they're driving me crazy and I want to ship them off to China that's not my wife. She's, she's cool. She loves our four kids. Like, so I've been asking a different question lately. And this is the question. And you can take notes. And you should take notes in church. Not because anything I'm saying is valuable, but you need this for Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay? Um, also, if you don't have your Bible with you, you should also use your phone not to scroll Instagram, but to read along with me, because we're going to go through the Word of God, and you need it, and you should test what I'm saying against the Word of God, because that's a better teacher than I am, uh, and if you disagree, don't come at me and say, hey, well, actually, in Second Revelation, da 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 But here's the scary question. 
What is a breakthrough that you're afraid to believe God for? What is a breakthrough in your life that you're afraid to believe God for? One time, the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. This crazy storm. At the end of the storm, Jesus got up. He calmed the wind and the waves. And then the disciples said, who is this man that calms even the wind and the waves? They knew him as healer, but they did not know that he could calm the winds and waves until they saw it happen. And then they're like, dang, who's this dude? And in our life, sometimes, there's a breakthrough that God wants to do in and through us, but we're too afraid to say it out loud. And that may be a reason why you're weary, because you don't even know how to pray for that thing anymore. You've done it once, you've done it twice, you did it with your friends, and you haven't seen it yet. And so I want to talk about that today. And so the title of our time together is called Running Blind, Fueling Your Faith When You Don't Know What to Do. Fueling Your Faith for When You Don't Know What to Do. Um, as David was talking about being in the presence of God, he used this analogy of clotheslines and sheets. And I'm very afraid to say the word sheet on stage because I don't want to have a lisp. And then my dad thinks I said a different word. And then on the drive back, we get a conversation. And he said, you didn't say sheet. You said a different word. And so I'm very nervous to say the word sheet. Sheet. Um, but maybe you're walking through life and the sheets that are in front of you, and you're running as fast as you can, you're like, I can't see where I'm going. And really sometimes in life, the path that God has us on seems like we're walking blindly. He calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. But when we take a moment to actually look around us, we're like, dang, what do I do next? These sheets are all around me. That's all I'm going to use that word. I'm done, I promise. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. So here are your Bibles with, with you. Let's turn to this passage of Scripture. Isn't that cool how uh, you just say a passage of Scripture and you get saved just by hearing it? You're like, oh, thank you God for that. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. How many of us want to have a faith that outlasts us? By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Just wave your hands at me if you want to be known as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him, not perfectly seek him, earnestly seek him. 
By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah saved the world by focusing on saving his family. He did it because God told him to do something that was crazy, and in holy fear, he went to work. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. God told me to go. Where do you go? Not sure. I'm going to take a step. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's a hard word to say. Seashore. Seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the freedom that's in this place. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, what David and Lois have meant uh, for me in my life. Uh, nine years ago, I led a campus that was three times the size of the church I grew up in. And I didn't know what to do. And I prayed that you would send a shepherd in my life. And you sent me the Colettas. And for years, when my wife and I got weary in ministry, we would just say, let's just make it to the Colettas. They cook good food, but more importantly, they have something in them that heals our hearts. So I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in this place. We thank you, Lord God, that freedom is available to us now. We thank you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys don't know, you have um, some incredible pastors. Um, you really do. And I'm not saying that because they asked me to hype them up before I, 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 I preach. I'm saying that because that's what we experienced. So literally for years, my wife and I needed their wisdom and guidance to do what God called us to do. And the amazing thing is, is when God calls you to do something, he will surround you with the right people, with the right tools, with the right resources you need to accomplish that task. And so if you're, if you're sitting in here today and there's an area where you're struggling in and you've heard that verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches and you can't see the supply, look again. Look again because it's right there. I'm not saying that because it's nice to say. I'm saying that because I've experienced it in the Coletas. So thank you guys for what you've meant to me and my family. Um, you've changed our lives. So thank you. Have y'all heard their love story? Y'all haven't heard their love story? Oh, there's going to be a Hallmark movie in 2023. 
and it's going to be the Colettes. Let me give you a taste. This girl from Canada, she goes to Italy on a mission trip for Jesus. She sees this Italian man. He is a stud in Jesus' name. And she says, I don't know. I need to get to know this man. So they wrote letters translating them in each other's languages so they could connect. And now you guys are the beneficiaries of a Hallmark movie. So if y'all don't know that, that's a taste. So I'm coming back Valentine's Day, and y'all need to share that sermon. And I just want to listen because it's, it's pretty amazing. So five questions that you can ask yourself when you're in a season when you don't know what to do. So we're going to look at these five questions. The first one is this. Do you know your history? You write that down. Do I know my history? The writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage believers who are getting weary in their faith. They're in a season when they want to walk away from the very thing that has changed them. And when we get to Hebrews 11, he starts reminding them of their history. And when Jesus becomes your Savior, this becomes your history. And so we see all these amazing stories from Hebrews chapter 11 of these heroes of faith. Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Enoch didn't even die. That's pretty amazing. We see stories of Abraham, Noah. We see stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. You go all throughout this passage of Scripture, you see these amazing heroes of faith. And it's an amazing thing to see, and it's an amazing thing to claim over your life, because the history found in God's Word is your history. Also, another question, do you know your history? When we take some time and we look at our past, many times we see our failures we see our mishaps. We see the things that didn't go the way they did, expectations that weren't met. And when we look back, sometimes it can be more painful than God has ever been faithful. We have to look back at our past and rewrite our history and see his story of faithfulness in our life. If not, then you will miss the miracle if not, you will miss the platform of faith that you should be standing on. Told you my scary question. What is the breakthrough that you're afraid to believe God for? So I've been asking this for the past few months. A few, few months ago, I traveled out to Texas. I met this amazing couple. They love Jesus. They're in ministry, all this awesome stuff. But when I first met them, the first thing I thought when I saw the wife, Hannah, that she's struggling with infertility. First time I ever met them. Didn't know anything about them. And I felt that impression from God. I'm like, that's weird. So we start talking. They've been married for a few decades. And, you know, we've been hanging out, talking, 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 talking. And at the end of dinner, I asked that question. What is a breakthrough that you're afraid to believe God for? I asked them that question. I asked them that question. The husband starts talking. The wife dips her eyes real quick. And then regains the smile. There's a smile that you put on your face when you've been battling for a while. And like, yeah, we're adopting some children this year. We're really excited. And I was like, I'm really excited for you, and I'll pray for that. But even deeper than that, I want to pray that God will do a miracle in your life by giving you the child that you want. 
That's really risky to say. It's really risky to say because I have no control over that. It's really risky to say because if I look by the reality of 15 years, that's not a reasonable thing to say. In, in, in actuality, without the lens of faith, that's irresponsible. But I'm a miracle. And if I cannot share the goodness, grace, and mercy of God over my life, and help free somebody else, then I'm depriving them of what God's done in my life. Me saying I'm a miracle is not just some hypey clappy thing. My mom and my dad, they struggled for 13 years in infertility. My mom had at least four miscarriages, and she also had a pre-existing heart condition, which meant that she probably wouldn't survive childbirth. 1979, she had a, an open-heart surgery. They moved from, my parents moved from Guyana in South America to the, to the States. They had an open-heart surgery. Doctor said, you'll never be able to survive childbirth. She smiled, she nodded, and said, that's not my God. 1982, my parents are living in sunny San Diego, California. They hear about this mission, missionary um, hospital ship that was in port in L.A., they drive up to see it, check it out. They're walking around this missionary hospital ship. This lady walks up to them and says, God has told me that you are to have a son. That's irresponsible. 13 years? That's irresponsible. She has no control over that. But that's not her assignment. And so, maybe... You have seen the history in your life wrong. And in doing that, you're not speaking faith into the lives of people you're meeting each and every day. And so, how do you see your past? Okay, push past the pain. Push past the failures. Push past the, the missed expectations. And see the mighty hand of God on your life. See his favor See where he opened doors where no one else could have opened it. Do you know your history? Second question to ask yourself. Am I willing to be obedient? Let's talk about authority for a few minutes. It's kind of like a curse word in 2021. That's probably worse than saying sheet wrong. <laughs> because we're Americans. We do what we're supposed to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. First Amendment, Second Amendment, amen. Like, like, authority is not a word we talk about in 2021. Obedience isn't a word we talk about in 2021. But God calls us to be obedient. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And walking in obedience with God allows us to walk in a different level of favor. We see that Abel was given deeper level of favor by God for walking in obedience. And so let's take some time, go back to Genesis. I think it's Genesis 4 is where I'm at. Yeah, Genesis chapter 4. Okay. You there? Anyone there? 
Genesis chapter 4, Abel made love, or Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. How do I rule over it? With obedience. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Okay, cool, bro. What are we going to do? While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? I don't know, my brother's keeper. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Two brothers trying to do the, the right thing. One does it in accordance to what God has called them to do. The other one says, nah, man, this is good enough for God. This is good enough for God. And that simple, small act of disobedience grew into him killing his brother. This isn't a message about tithing. This isn't a message about generosity. But I want to ask you this question. What is something small that God has called you to do that you're not doing today? A small act of disobedience allows sin to enter the door. Uh, a year ago this week, I was at this uh, um, gender reveal party for one of my neighbors, okay? So uh, about two years ago, my wife and I, we felt like God was calling us to leave where we were at at Elevation Church. I was a campus pastor there for eight years. It was awesome. Uh, nothing crazy happened. Don't come ask me after what really happened because that's what happened. So we felt like God was calling us to move. We, he, he said, hey, we're calling you back into the corporate world. That's a really crazy story. I wish I could tell you that story. Maybe I'll tell you in the end. But we felt like he was calling us back in the corporate world. We moved from Charlotte to, to Greer, South Carolina. And uh, we move into this house. And the second day we're there, I'm outside. I'm getting something from my car. I see a guy about five houses down look at me. He goes, oh. He hops into his little uh, MG, like this like green convertible, and drives five houses over. To my house. Real weird. I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of weird. He gets out. First question, he's like, man, it must have been hard to leave a church like Elevation to start over. I was like, hi, what's your name? Second thing he says, I, I heard that you work at Polydeck. I've been trying to do business with Polydeck for the past five years. I can't get in there. Do you know Sean so-and-so? That's the first conversation I have with this guy. So I just wrote him off as, this is, we'll call him Steve. We'll call him Steve the Weirdo. 
So every time I see Steve the weirdo, I kind of walk the other way. I'm like, I don't know what he's going to ask from me. I don't know what he's been Googling. I don't know what he's been on Facebook for. I don't know if he's, like, reached out to, like, Wes Watson on Instagram and said, hey, tell me something about Joel. I don't know what he's doing. So I'm always nervous when I see him. So I'm at this gender reveal party, and Steve comes in with his new fiance. So I saw that they got engaged. Steve's like in his late 40s, and he's got kids that are like uh, high school, college age. So does she. And, and so they walk in, and I feel like this little thing of saying, like, in my heart, you need to talk to Steve. And I got nervous because I'm like, I don't know what Steve's going to ask. So uh, the gender reveal was real bougie. At the end of the night, they did fireworks, y'all. Full confession, some of y'all have been to my gender reveal parties. We've done a few. We did one where uh, uh, we cut a cake, and it was like blue or pink, so that was for our eldest. Uh, the next one we did was a, a, a gun. I shot like Tannerite in the air. It was real embarrassing because I missed it a bunch of times. And then Ashley's like, hey, Joel, control your breathing. You know, be calm. And I was shooting a little 22 rifle. It was real bad. Anyways, so, so that happened. So I've done some bougie, like, gender reveal parties. So, so the fireworks are going off. It's a girl. Yay, we're all excited. And, like, like they're standing next to me, creepy Steve and his fiance. And, and I feel convicted. And I'm like, God's like, you need to talk to them. And I'm like, hey, if y'all want to do your wedding, because they were engaged. It was COVID. Everything shut down. I was like, if y'all want to do your wedding, I'm your guy. We can get you married tonight. So Steve's fiance laughs like you should, like politely, but crazy Steve looks me in the eye like, that is a good plan. So he's like, well, actually, we were going to go to the justice of the peace. Do you think you actually can marry us? I'm like, okay, creepy Steve. Um, so I say, I say yes to this thing. We do two sessions of premarital counseling. I say all I had time for. We, we hang out. We do the thing. And then uh, the day of the wedding... We do the wedding with this family there. After the wedding, it was at a, like a really cool restaurant, so I was excited. I was like, at least I get free food out of this thing. Um, and God told me, do not receive any money for it. Do it for free. I was like, oh, dang, I could have gotten some money from Steve. Um, so sitting at the after party or whatever, and I'm sitting next to Steve's brother. So Steve's brother and I start talking. He's actually a pastor. I'm like, oh, bro, why didn't you do your brother's wedding? Why am I here? Um, uh, he starts talking. We, knew, we know some mutual people. And at my job where I work, uh, we do Bible study every Tuesday. And that's one of the things I lead. And so we have local pastors come in and do this Bible study. So our employees, they get to know local pastors in the area. It's really cool. So I was like, hey, creepy Steve's brother. You don't seem creepy. You should come do Bible study on Tuesdays with me. And he's like, oh, I totally will do it. And I said, hey, you know, we pay $200 per thing. No, we don't need any more applications. Y'all don't need to drive down to Spartanburg. But he was like, oh, I'll come do it. Yeah, that's exciting. So um, the last year, he's been teaching Fit for Life. And he's been amazing. He's been a godsend. Well, three months ago, like, he pulled me aside. And he's, like, one of these guys that's always like, hey, man, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for this. This has been awesome. He pulled me aside. And he's like, hey, man, you don't really know why I'm so grateful. When we met at my brother's wedding, creepy Steve, uh, when we, when I, we met at my brother's wedding, I was two months behind on my mortgage payment. I lead a small church. Because of COVID, we weren't able to meet. We did things online, but people stopped giving. 
and we didn't know what to do. I was applying for jobs on Target, on Target's website, trying to get something just to make ends meet. And I was questioning if God really called me to lead this church. He leads a great church in a really small town in South Carolina. And when you invited me to teach Fit for Life, the money I get for Fit for Life saved my house inspired me and my wife to stay in ministry. The church is doing great. People are giving again. And I just want to say thank you. A joke at a gender reveal party was really God saving a church that's meeting right now. None of that story has anything to do with me. Has everything to do with how God prompts and uses people to be his hands and feet in the world. And we can miss it if we don't listen to the small, still voice of the Lord. And so if you're at dinner this week and you feel led to pray for the waitress, leave a big tip and pray for her. If you're at work on Tuesday, and you hear a so-and-so that's 20 minutes late because she's a single mom, and she's just trying to make it work. Buy her lunch and pray for her. Sometimes God is leading us into things, and it's a, it's a, it's a small little, mm, you should probably do this. Let me tell you a bonus one. This is real quick. Thursday night, my wife and I, we were at Bonefish, and I took my family out. We got four kids that eat a lot, and so I'm real nervous when you go to Bonefish because everything's not cheap. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to pay for all these people. And we're walking in, and there's this couple there. They're older, and they're sitting right next to our table where the crazy is about to go down. And so I, I felt like, hey, you probably need to apologize to these people. So I walk up to them, and I say, sorry about your dinner. These kids are about to come in. I don't know what's about to go down, but I'm sorry in advance. I'm trying to be a good parent. I'll see you later. So we sit down. We eat the food. At the end of dinner, the couple comes up, and they say, hey, y'all have a great family. And I'm like, I'm threatening all these kids with all sorts of violence so they stay still. <laughs> I receive it. I receive it. They walk out. The waitress says, hey, that couple just paid for your dinner. So I'm going to bonefish every day. So if you see me at Bonefish and I'm hugging you and stuff, help your boy out. Third thing, third question. Who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? If you turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. God tells the Israelites, I'm going to give you this land. Land flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome. But you're going to do some work to get the land. Whenever God gives us something, there's often work required. And many times we can get discouraged with the work required for a promise that God has placed over our life and see that as, oh, dang, that must be a no. Peace of God will surpass all understanding, will rest and abide in our hearts. That's true, but peace can come when you're in the middle of the storm, when things are hard. So God gives the Israelites 
this amazing land. He's like, you're going to have to fight for it, but send 12 spies. Smartest, sharpest, best dude, whoever's jacked in your tribe, send that dude. Y'all going to go there for 40 days. They go there 40 days. They all come back safe. They all come back healthy. They all come back um, without a scratch. They came back to Moses. This is picking up in verse uh, 26. Side note. Pause. My prayer is that the scriptures that we are talking about, that you would take some time at some point to look through them. Because they're way more powerful uh, when you spend some time with you and the Lord reading through these passages because they really do give you a lot of life. They came back to Moses and Aaron, verse 26, and the whole Israelite community at Kedesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So they, all these guys, 12 jack dudes, they all had fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Mmm, yummy, it's great. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and they start going all through this stuff. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, y'all, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They spread a bad report. You know it's easier to spread bad news than good news? If I tell you that there's no shootings in Spartanburg today, as of 11.35, you got to date this because Spartanburg's kind of crazy. Like, if I tell you there's no shootings, you're like, oh, that's cool. If I tell you there's a shooting in Florida, that's what you're going to focus on. We are hardwired to look at the negative in life. And in doing that, we can see opportunities as obstacles. And so it's so important in our lives that we curate who we're closest to. Curate who we're closest to. That means that you may be friendly to all, but transparent with a few. You may have tons of friends, tons of people in your community, but there's some people in your crew who you keep real close and you tell everything to. So Israelites, they fight about everything. Joshua gets up. He says, we can do it. Let's go. And they end up fighting Israelites, all that good stuff. It's amazing. My point in this passage of Scripture, 12 spies, 2 saw the faith, 10 didn't. And it's so important in our life that you know the friends that see faith. Let me tell you about my friends, the Riffles. They're actually here today. Uh, Riffles, they got uh, about 25 kids. And... Um, uh, Coletta's, if you ever want to grow your church, just find, the, just, just find the riffles. And here's the crazy thing about them. They travel in packs, so they know other groups of big families. And so you can have 10,000 people here by next week if you just hang out with the riffles. But the riffles for me are friends who see faith, even in the midst of fear. Like I told you, they have 1,000 children. And um, a few years ago, their word for the year was the word excess. 
They believed that God was going to do exceedingly abundantly more than all they asked for or imagined. And Becca Ruffa got this list. She got all these different things that she wanted to see God do. And then Matthew, who is a baller, Matthew, who will sell you anything and you don't even know you're being sold until after you purchase it, got in your car, got home, you're like, what did I just buy? What just happened? Like, Matthew, who's one of the hardest working guys I know, United States Marine, he's a legend, he's good looking, people love him. 20 years in his job, they fire him for doing the right thing. And I saw this family never skip a beat. Like, oh, well, God's going to just do it a different way. And I remember one day, <laughs> Matt was like, hey, because... Because I got fired, I got unemployment. Because I got unemployment, I got Medicaid. And so my kids get braces for free. <laughs> so I saw babies in their house that didn't even have teeth have braces <laughs> on their gums because that was free. People would drop off cash at their front door, you know, to help make the mortgage payment. So I found that out. I'd get at the house around 4.30 waiting for the cash payment. Like, I need some cash, too. Like, like, and I saw God just do amazing things in their life. 2021, all the things that Becca declared over that season, they're walking in right now. And so, man, I roll with the riffles. Here's the problem with rolling the riffles. They have tons of kids. So you just got to realize what water you're drinking. And so I'm like, hey, we're pulling over. We half riffle. We're at four. We're good. But when I'm trying to stretch my faith and believe God for something different, I tell the riffles everything. I tell them all because they're people that are fueled with faith. A few weeks ago, I was hanging out with the riffles, and there's something that we're praying through. And I was like, dang, should we do this thing? And it's really far away, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm telling Matt everything. I'm telling him everything. And he goes, watch. Have you told Becca yet? I was like, no. Watch her. If you tell her, she's going to figure out how far that drive is, and she's going to say, well, we can make it. So sure enough, I walk into the house, and I said, hey, Becca, we're thinking about moving to Afghanistan. And it's not Afghanistan, example. And Becca, literally while I'm talking, she looks down at her phone. <clears throat> oh, it'll take us 28 hours to drive there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can make that. That was her first response to this crazy thing we're praying God for. But she's a, she's a friend that we can roll with. And so we tell them everything. I got some other friends that anytime I tell them something, they're going to tell me the 75 different reasons why I should just be excited for what I got and just leave it there. I don't excommunicate them as friends, but they're not the riffles. So who's in your corner? Something about this. To have the right friendship, you have to invest without expecting anything in return. And if you do that long enough, you'll see the right people who return that. You can't expect that level of friendship without giving it. So investing in friendships feels like inconvenience in the short term to reap a reward in the long term. So that will mean that if your friend is longer than an eight-minute commute from your house, you may need to drive over there. That's okay. 
That may mean when you're driving home and you rather listen to your podcast that you pick up the phone and call somebody. That may mean that you take Thursday mornings and say, Thursday mornings is my tribe day. I'm just going to send hype messages to my friends and let them know how grateful I am for them. Who's in your tribe? Last question, H. Well, two more questions, H, hardship. Uh, What if breakthrough isn't about you? Hebrews 11, 13, talking about all these heroes. And it says this, all these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What if breakthrough isn't about you? What if the prayer that you're praying for and you're believing that you'll see is something that you're unlocking in a generation after you? I'm standing here today because I'm a beneficiary of the prayers of my mother and father. And my mother prayed for grandchildren. She knew we were pregnant, but she never got to hold her grandbabies in her hands. She prayed that she would be able to travel the country, live comfortably, do all these things, own a home, all this stuff. And those are some things she didn't see in her generation that I'm a beneficiary of. What if breakthrough isn't about you? My mom died uh, May 28, 2014. I've got this, this uh, picture that I haven't shown anyone that I keep on my phone. I look at it probably once a year. And this, the night before my mom passed away, she was in the hospital. I had some friends in my tribe to come pray over her. So uh, one of my friends is Dara. She's in the back. She was praying over my mom the night before she died. And so I got Dara on one side and then another friend of mine, Brittany, on the other side. And then I got my cousin um, standing there. And so... Brittany, she's like an ER trauma nurse. She's a gangster, so she's just praying. Dara, she's a gangster. Um, I wouldn't mess with her. Uh, she's praying. And then my cousin, who has no faith, she's looking at the camera with like this crazy look of fear. Crazy look of fear. Next day, my mom passes away. First time in my life where I ever felt like heaven was real. I saw her breathe her last, and I could feel that she was in the presence of God. And so I mourned, I cried, but it wasn't, it wasn't a hopeless mourning. Does that make sense? Hardship. What if breakthrough isn't about you? One of the things that I've been so afraid of is that my kids wouldn't know my mother. That's one of my things I'm so fearful of. My mom, uh, she's five feet tall, but a giant of faith. Little lady, a lot of faith. You know, one time... One time she, when I was in college, she told me, yeah, you know, I know you're not doing X, Y, and Z. I was like, how you don't, how you know? And she just looked at me like, well, God would tell me if you're doing that. <laughs> and so, so, 
So I was so afraid. I was so afraid. I left everybody alone. I was like, I don't want my mom calling me right now because her and God are in speed talk. She was a prayer warrior. She was a connector. She loved people, but in a different way than my dad. My dad will walk in, and uh, he'll take over the room. I'll take over the room. My dad will walk in, take over the room. Everyone will love him. I'm not standing too close to my dad because if I get close, he'll grab the mic, he'll start preaching, and then his sermon will be better than mine, so I just leave him in his space. My mom is the person that's going to ask you three years later, hey, I've been praying for you on that. How's it going? That was my mom. And I was so afraid that my kids wouldn't ever see that. But in Hebrews 11, it says that faith speaks even though he's still dead. Talked about that with Abel. And when you have faith and when you're praying for something, those prayers are actually kind of eternal. Two weeks ago, I'm taking my daughter to the, to the, um, to the mailbox, and she's got letters. She's got letters for her friends. And so, Erica, you know every other day you get a letter from Lexi for Ellie. Ellie's her best friend. And, and um, I'm walking with her, and I'm asking, like, hey, why do you always write these letters? And she goes, because I want my friends to know that I love them. And when she said that, I realized that the spirit of my mother was alive in my daughter, and she never even met her. But my daughter's got a godly heritage. And because my mom prayed these prayers and declared these things, even though she didn't see it, physically, she waved at them from a distance, believing that God will will do it. Last question. Spirit. Will you choose to trust him? Will you choose to trust him? God sent me to share this message to someone who is weary. And the one question I really just wanted to ask you is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, verse 7. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So many times in life we get messed up because we think there's one path for us to walk on. And so when we see something not pan out the way we thought, we think it's all done. We think it's all done. Uh, 19 years old, I wanted to be a Marine Corps officer. I was really excited about it. I trained a lot. I was an ROTC for a few years in college, and then I got told no. I got told no because when I was little, I had asthma, and they told me no. I'm like, I'm the only dude in war that can't get in the military. This is 2003. I cried my eyes out in my dorm room. 2005, I try again. 2007, I try again. 2010, my wife asked me this crazy question. We've been married for a few months. She said, hey, what are you dreaming of? What's your biggest dream in your life? And my wife had two fears. She told me this when we started dating. I don't want to marry anyone in the ministry. I don't want to marry anyone in the military. 
And so I was like, well, I had this dream. I would love to be a Marine Corps officer. I get out. I do the GI Bill, which means I'd be about 35, 36. And then I'd go to seminary. And then uh, probably 38, 39, I want to go back in as a chaplain. I told her that. Outback Steakhouse, Bluffton, South Carolina, 2010. She says, well, why not? Why not? Let's do this thing. I'm like, okay, well, that's a favor from God. The next week, I get a call from my college roommate. I introduced him to his wife. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. He's my boy. He says, hey, Joel, I'm sitting here. I just got reassigned to Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm over all of the waivers in the southeastern region. Brother, I just pulled up your old dossier, and I got a hookup for you. If you want to go in the Marine Corps, well, you can do this thing. And I'm like, God's answered my prayer. God's answered my prayer. Now I'm back on the path. And so I start running, I start working out, running, working out. Uh, but I was a little afraid, so I said, hey, Kel, I've been this route four times before. This is number five. How about we move to Charlotte? There's some seminaries here. And if I don't do this Marine Corps thing, I'll go to seminary, and then we'll go to ministry. Cool. Made this game plan. Um, and we go to the seminary, and I remember saying this in the seminary. It's kind of funny. They were talking about, hey, uh, so we're so excited that you want to come to seminary. Um, what kind of ministry you want to be in? And I said, I do not want to work in a church. And furthermore, I don't want to work for a big church. Furthermore, I don't want to work for one of them uh, mega churches. Because then mega churches hurt people, then mega churches, blah, 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 blah. I, I went off on the president of this seminary here in Charlotte about how I would never work or be a part of a mega church. So a few weeks later, um, a friend of mine, uh, he knew I was in town for a job interview. He's like, hey, come with me to church. So I come with him to church. It was a mega church. And I was like, this is weird. I don't like mega churches. But I cried the whole time. Spirit of God fell on me. And I was like, this is different than what I thought. This is different than the path. But I'm supposed to be a Marine Corps officer, so I forgot about that. We moved to Charlotte. We start going to this church on Saturday nights. We start going to this small church that you really get community for. And then we start going to these two churches, and God starts prompting my heart. And no, 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 no. That, that big church is supposed to be your home. But God, I don't want to. Mega churches are bad. Da, 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 da. And I'd go to the mega church on Saturday nights. And the campus pastor, the campus pastor would make a beeline for me. There's 700 people walking out, and the campus pastor would just walk up to me and say, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, don't you got 699 other people to talk to? And, and God started speaking to me in my dreams. This is your church home. This is your church home. This is your church home. And then I called my friend and said, hey, I think. I think there's a different path that I'm supposed to be on. And I'm so grateful that I answered the call of God on my life and submitted myself to his authority because when I did that, everything in my life changed. A few years ago, April of 2018, I had this dream. I had this dream. I was flying into this mountain range, landing in this little airstrip, and there was mountains everywhere, and there was a guy next to me who was dressed in, like, the standard executive wear, something like what Wes is wearing, you know? And, and, and I, I remember this dream, and right around the time, I was like, I think, I think God might be calling me back into the corporate world. And so 
I went to some of my friends, not the Riffles, because I, I wasn't smart enough to. And they're like, why would you ever do something like that? That's stupid. You're leading this campus. It's good. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. We start building this house, and I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. I'll forget about that dream. December of 2018, get this email. A, we are looking for an executive who's got a combination of business background. I led a bank for a bunch of years. And then also a Bible background, someone who's been in ministry. Do you know anyone who'd be interested? That's executive recruiters speak for, uh, you want to come talk to me? Uh, and I was like, nah, that's stupid. I'll send it to a friend, but I couldn't forward the email. There's something about it. And I was like, Spartanburg, South Carolina, I've been there before. They got the beacon, which is like this, this South Carolina legendary restaurant that isn't that good when you go eat there. And I was like, that's not it. That's not it. I got a path. I got a path. I'm supposed to retire here. God starts prompting me. No, 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 no. This is where I have you. This is where I have you. This is where I have you. So much so that he sent a preacher from Nottingham, England. Y'all know the land of Robin Hood's a real place? Nottingham, England. This preacher I hadn't talked to in like five years. He sends me this three-page prophetic letter. Three-page prophetic letter that says, hey, God's about to reassign you. He's about to do some things you don't know about. And this is your new, I'm like, what is happening? And then we find ourselves saying, what are we doing why is God calling us to Spartanburg, South Carolina? We take this job. Two months in, they said, hey, we're flying you to Santiago, Chile. We got a plant down there. We want you to go there for a week. If you don't know, Santiago, Chile is in a valley surrounded by a mountain range. You can only see the mountain range if it rains the night before because there's so much pollution. Never rains. Well, I take this flight into Santiago with my boss, who's the VP of employee care, and I'm, he's sitting next to me to my right. We're flying in. I see this crystal clear mountain range, and I look over at this dude, and I'm crying. He's like, hey, bro, you okay? Because there's more than one path in life. There's more than one option. We serve a God of the third option. We serve a God who specializes in taking the prodigal addict kid who uh, failed out of rehab. He specializes in taking that kid and using them for his glory. Because he doesn't just have them on one path. He's got multiple paths for them because that's their training process. Hebrews 12, go through it, look it up. It says, endure hardship as discipline for God is treating you as his son's. He uses crazy seasons of our life to strengthen our knees and legs so we can be what he's called us to be. And so today, I just want to pray for someone who's been weary, who's in a season where you, you don't know what to do. I just want you to look at your past and see God's hand of favor on your life. I want you to ask this. Can you submit yourself to his authority knowing that his ways are higher than my ways. Can you ask yourself, who's my tribe? And who's that person that I need to speak with? Who's that person I need to sit up under and say, hey, man, I'm trying to think about this thing. What do you think about it? Hardship. Can you realize that life is hard either way you turn? 
Life is hard single. Life is hard married. Life is hard with kids. Life is hard with the promotion. Life is hard with more money. Life is hard with less money. Life is hard with the cool car. Life is hard. It's just hard. And can you be a person that is led by his spirit? Jesus said that he'd send us a counselor. Jesus said that we would do even greater things than he did. Can we be led by his spirit? I would love to take a moment to pray for you. And so if you could stand right now. And if you feel comfortable with the people that you came with, and if the person next to you that you don't know feels comfortable, if you could grab the hand of the person next to you. I feel real hypocritical preaching this message about running blind, having the faith to do what you don't know what to do. Because we're in a season right now where we don't know what we're going to do. But that's the way God works. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's go in the presence of God. Right before the service every Sunday that MCC meets, uh, they have a prayer meeting. And if you haven't come to the prayer meeting before... I would suggest that you get here early and come to the prayer meeting because it's lit. It's amazing. My dad's going to ask me what lit means on the way home. There's something special specifically about this house that is choosing to do what we call church a little differently. It's the harder way of doing ministry. It's the harder thing to say, we're just going to stop and see how God is going to move today. There's some of you who've been coming for a while that need to submit to, hey, this is my home. And this is a new season of growth for me and it's going to look different than my past and that's okay. What is a breakthrough that you're afraid to believe God for? Let's take a moment to pray for that thing. Father, um, I don't have any crazy, eloquent words to pray. I just think about the faith of the Roman centurion that dropped the jaws of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus went around preaching about how big the kingdom of God was. He got all this flack from the Pharisees and Sadducees who eventually killed him. But this soldier got it right said, if you just speak it, it'll be so. He didn't ask Jesus to come to the house. He didn't grab his centurions to, to kidnap Jesus, to bring him to where he had a need. He just said, speak it, and it will be. We ask you, Lord God, that we can speak to the things in our life that are dead with that same level of of faith, knowing that if you've done it in our past, you can do it again. That your ways are higher than our ways. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, not just in Hebrews, but in 2021 at Mission Community Church. That hard times are a part of life. 
that, that's what we do. But you gave us the gift of your spirit that leads us, and we will trust that. God, bless our path today. We pray these things in the failing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone with faith said,